Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm Associate Director at the Institute and your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, we're joined by Patrick Callahan, who is a founder and managing partner of Compass Red, a data and analytics agency based in Wilmington, Delaware. Patrick and I spoke on August 6th, 2020. We covered innovation, adaptation, and recovery efforts in the workplace and for Delaware, both during and after the pandemic. Let's get to the conversation. So Patrick, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you taking time. Thanks, Troy. I always enjoy our conversations. So we were talking uh, just a few days ago and you mentioned that you uh, were working on an op-ed and August 4th, uh, Delaware Business Times has your uh, short but sweet and powerful kind of op-ed about experiences you've lived through in terms of taking a fresh start or a fresh look at thing. And I just want to take a quote from it and get you to respond and maybe expand on different stories that you've kind of lived this out. You said, here's what I've learned. Disruptions allow us to reinvent ourselves and to be who and what we want to be. The disruptor might be a job loss, a bankruptcy, or a pandemic that temporarily brings global businesses to a halt. So I'm, I'm curious if you could kind of take us through the various disruptions you've dealt with in your professional career and what some of your pivots were along the way. Yeah. And the ones we're living through right now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, th- there was one real personal one uh, that... Um, that I sort of referenced in in the op-ed and then um, I'll tell you some others. I mean, it it seems like there's always one right Um, going on and you can look at them as either great things or think times to reshape. So my first one, I had graduated, um, you know, my, my career was, I went to Anderson consulting, whatever, and then went to work for a small startup and doing database stuff and then went to law school at night. Um, And then uh, we, uh, it was, Pre, it was like 1995 to 19, or 2000 time area. I wasn't really excited about the job I was in. The, uh, we had literally sold the company and um, we were cruising along. It's a couple weeks before um, this dot-com bubble that we always remember. And I remember specifically sitting in an office saying, I just can't physically do this anymore. I was just exhausted. I wanted to change whatever. So I asked for a couple weeks off and they said, yeah, sure. And so I remember sitting at my desk on the third floor of my house, uh, trying to, and I was like, okay, it's the end of the two weeks. I got my head clear a little bit. I'm going to go back. Not terribly excited about it, but I have a roadmap for going ahead in the future. And I got a phone call and, uh, it was from my boss. And, uh, he said, um, you know, um, we're going to ask you not to come back. The dot com bubble had hit. The banks had pulled the, uh, financing and all this kind of, it was kind of a disaster. Um, and, uh, we had nothing. So I, I remember going down to my wife and, um, I remember these exact things. I was like, this is actually going to be one of the worst days of our lives or one of the best of the days of my life. And, you know, we, we had just bought a brand new Volvo. We had, um, I, my wife, we, we both had two ki- you know, we had our two kids, uh, that were one and two. We, we had no idea what we were going to do. And, and, that was the time, like, it, you know, I was, I read in the Reader's Digest sometimes. Sometimes people just pick up your hat and throw it over the fence for you and you got to figure out how to get it back. And um, that was just going through my mind. And you, when you have two, you, you don't really think about anything, but you have two kids screaming, you got a car payment, a house payment, 
you got to make it work. There's failure is not an option. Like the sun's going to come up tomorrow. It's not going to stop. You got to keep moving on. And that was when, um, you know, initially I wasn't a great networker, but then I was like, you know, I just got to go out and meet people. And um, there was this thing called Fast Company Friends. I met up with Lee Michaels. And that was this spark that created a, you know, a big company later on down the years. And if I had gone back to that cube that I was sitting in, or if I had gone back to the job or just kind of continued on or gone through failure, then we would have never been able to create that company that is still magical in its own way. And so um, that, that's like a, one example. And, and there's, I've got tons of them that have made me pivot in different ways. The 2008 financial crisis is another good example of that. If, uh, if people didn't live through that, or the people who did live through it remember it every day. And I remember we were offering different products as a company. And um, when uh, you have 70 people that are counting on you for their mortgages and the banks pull back on the financing and you can't afford anything, you start looking at new and creative ways of doing things that you wouldn't have done before. You're d- you have to. Yet there's failure is not an option. We didn't want to lose anybody. And we were able to work through some creative ways of doing business with our clients, you know, big global clients. That would, um, that they carried on after that and then just allowed us to operate more efficiently, better, differently, everything else like that. Um, and so those were two that like really hit me that come to mind. Even today, I'm going through some of them. But if you look around, I mean, we're going through a big disaster right now. But look, let's look. Here's something else. I'm from New Orleans. My parents lived in Louisiana. Um, Hurricane Katrina, Katrina came through and wiped out my parents' house. I remember flying down the weekend after it hit and bailing my parents out and watching New Orleans. I remember the mayor crying. I remember being stuck in a swamp um, with no food. Uh, I mean, I remember that very, very vividly. And look at it now. It's got one of the best education systems that would have never been possible before Katrina. It would have just kept carrying on. So they took a, a situation and it just changed it overnight. It happens daily. And so you, you're from New Orleans. How did you find your way to Delaware originally? And then you found your way back to Delaware, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, so I went to Drexel in Philadelphia and met my wife there. Her father um, worked for DuPont as a chemist, mm-hmm. as most of them do. Sounds yeah. familiar. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was from here. And um, when we graduated and I wanted to go back to night law school, um, I was, uh, we were looking for a good spot to do. It was either go home to New Orleans, but um, Widener University was here, had a great program. And I was really interested in the corporate law. And where else would you ever do corporate law than where the judges who are deciding most global cases are driving home at night and doing, uh, you know, teaching law students on the side. So um, we wanted to stay in Delaware. And then that's where I kind of just kept my roots sewing and all that kind of stuff. It was good. Recently, we went to, you know, after the sale of Archer, um, moved out to San Francisco and California. I, my thought was like a chef's got to live in New York at some point in their life. And I wanted to move to California. So we ripped the kids out of their environment. Um, my wife was willing to try a different state. Uh, we drove across not knowing where we we're going to live, but we'd figure it out. And, and that's not unique. It's not like everyone's got that in there. It's not, I mean, we'd find someplace out there. It's, it was really hard. I, I did learn a lot and I, I was around some amazing people. It, it, there's where ideas to me sometimes get created and here's where they apply into reality um, on the East Coast. 
And coming back, I mean, we, we had, it's easy to have a strong network here in the state. And, you know, even the way you and I met, I don't even remember what the initial email, but you were, someone said smart cities. And I was like, you're the only guy I knew. And you're like, <laughs> I really don't do a lot of smart cities, but I do. And yeah. so, uh, but it was, you know, I couldn't have done that in California. I could sure. have just reached out. I mean, they would have been like, who's this guy and whatever, but it's, it's a state to do that. So what made, uh, what was the thinking behind Compass Red when you started and, you know, where do you think you're going over the next few years? Yeah. So, uh, Compass Red, um, we're a a data science and data analytics company, um, basically an agency that instead of using creatives, we use data scientists, analysts, and visualization people, people who are passionate about data. It technically started in 2012 out in California. Um, the name came from when I was out sailing uh, with my wife. We were getting instruction. The, um, the instructor, it, my wife is all over, getting thrown all over the boat because sailing in San Francisco is not the most calmest. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, just look where your compass is red, meaning where that red mark is pointing because that's your true north type thing. And then I was taking flying lessons and uh, doing spin stalls and all that kind of thing. And um, they said the same thing. And, you know, it's basically you can't look outside because you, you'll lose perspective. Things are coming at you. You can't react. You've got to focus on one thing that you know is true. And uh, so that's where the name came from. Really didn't get its footing until we did move back and I was able to tap into some networks, bring on some great partners um, that I had known before, and then start adding some very, very smart talent to our mix. And the way we... we Finer talents. We talk about the you know, everyone's heard about the Simon Snook stuff, but it's the why behind what we do. It's not the uh, here's what we do. It's this is why we do it. So we believe strongly that our data can save a life in some form. So that's sort of what we do. I have a, a company that I've always been impressed with was IDEO. IDEO. Um, sorry, they call it IDEO, and it's a um, it's a product development company. They they built the mouse, and the way they did that is that they brought in. Um, there's videos on Nightline that, uh, that if you go to YouTube and you see product development, is that they bring in multiple different hats into a room and they feel the belief that people with, ba- with diverse backgrounds can come up with some amazing things. So it might be an engineer, a school teacher, a grocery cart person, whatever it is. And they, on behalf of their clients, have nailed the creative process. And so um, I kind of think of us as like that. I aspire to be like that but in the data science world. And so right now, I mean, we're uh, in response mode, you know, if data can save a life, now's the time to, to activate yeah. it kind of. Uh, right. yeah. What's response look like? What's adaptation look like at Compass Red over the last few months? So um, it's interesting. Yeah, I've reflected on this too. And sometimes when you're in the eye of the storm, you can't really tell, you know, <laughs> going back to our Compass Red moment. but. Um, when, when the pandemic hit, it was March 13th and um, we all shut down, right? And certainly some of our clients that we were doing work for, for example, like supply chain analysis or predictions, um, where there's no more supply chain. So why do I need a prediction kind of thing? That kind of stuff dried up. Other client work started heating up, like doing some COVID-related um, projects that are... You can't open the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or anything today without seeing data is the primary piece of that. And so getting the data and doing it, that and providing it. So that's really given us a, a new um, uplift in things. One thing we did do, and 
I don't know if it was like, oh, we're going to actually do this or whatever, but we did it was that we started, we said, okay, now we've got some time to do some things that we didn't have time to do before, nor did we see any light to do it. So um, we looked at some projects that we were doing in the past over and over and over again. So can we make this faster and can we apply this towards other industries? So um, we developed a product called Orbis and it basically brings data into a, a centralized system, you know, vast amounts of data. And then we can do certain algorithms or analysis on that data knowing we're in, it's in our own environment. Uh, a spinoff of that is called Orbis Voice, where basically we're doing natural language processing on open text and analyzing that so that you could quickly come up with a response. And it was kind of interesting. It got really applied when the governor was going up and down the state doing some surveys of businesses. And um, we got a call saying that we're going to get thousands of responses from small businesses and it's going to be open text, which we don't want to eliminate. But there's no time to... We can't take months to analyze it and say, well, what did this actually say? What does this mean? So we were able to... Like, we just was like, we just built this, but um, we think we can actually get the answers to it. And so we pulled that data into a centralized database. It's all anonymous and everything else like that. Had Orbis Voice run on it. And we see some of those graphs and the presentations that were done to say, like, here's where we need to put some of our efforts and time. Backed up by... It's, it's, it's more meant to inform the decision makers and not necessarily to replace them. But it allowed them to quickly say, oh, that's what that business needs. And it became very, very useful. And so then we started seeing that go... Um, we're using that in other clients and you know, around the country actually right now. So you were in the process of standing up Orbis and Orbis Voice before the pandemic? Uh, we had ideas on it that we wanted to build, but we were never able to build it. We never had time. You know, the whole shoemaker's children. I don't know. I can't remember the thing, whatever. But like, you know, you look at the shoemaker and his kids have no shoes because he's never had time to really do that. Um, it's a sort of the same idea. We've, we've been wanting to build this product for a long time. We see there's some voids in the industry, but we've never had time to do that. And the, the other thing is that being all online has given us... I'm, I don't have to go to 16 different coffees a day you know, where you're driving an hour to it. Sometimes an hour and a half. It's a 30-minute conversation. And it's, it's beautiful. It's great. And um, that's been a good thing out of it. You know, certainly, there are challenges too. Yeah. So the remote work piece, I mean... I've enjoyed my car sitting in the driveway, except for when the battery goes dead. But uh, <laughs> I mean, um, that the time savings is very real. And, you know, you can still meet with a lot of people, although it's not the same experience. Everybody's working from home at Compass Red, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, what's that adjustment been like? And I guess, you know, particularly in the development, you've got people who are developing software, doing analysis. How has that has that been a big adjustment, or have they been kind of primed to make that adjustment for a while? We've always had two offices, so we had one up in Philadelphia, one here in Wilmington, um, and that's so it's been helpful. But we usually have well, it would always have brought people down. It was a forced adjustment. I mean, thank God we have all these Zoom and and Google and all that kind of stuff to to be able to do this. It wasn't as big as an impact as I thought it would be, but it's definitely an amazing. You don't have the spot innovation that happens of, uh, hey, can you step over to this whiteboard real quick? You know, as you're sitting at the coffee machine or at the the water machine, whatever. Like that happens a lot. I've even had some. I 
there was a couple of meetings where I actually I went and we social distanced on our floor, you know, and, and had a meeting because there's just no way it was too important. It would be a fool to say like it, that it has had no impact on things. On the positive thing aside, I think we are forced to look at making decisions faster and being able to say, what's the purpose of this Zoom call? Here's what I need to get out of this to be able to make this decision. So I really think through things a lot more. But like I said, sometimes innovation doesn't happen by really thinking through things a lot more. So I am looking forward to us all getting back together. Had you told me that um, before this, you know, this is what the next six months is going to look like. I'm like, there's no freaking way that we're going to be able to innovate and come up with new ideas. But it, on the other side, like, other side, I mean, before this, we we were saying, God, I just wish I had time to think, you know. And and I'm, I mean, I'm going out for two hour walks on a um, a trail we have near our house that, like, I, I would have never ever done <laughs> before. Right. And the things that come to me after that, are like, wow, that's that's really cool. So thinking about your shop, I mean, when, when we get back to not having to do remote work exclusively, what lessons are you already thinking about that you're going to take back to that environment? That's a great question. I, I, I don't know if, um, if I will require like in person as much as we had to, I still want them and I'll probably cherish them a lot more. And I, um, and I, you know, I'm talking about me as a company. I think we'll still want them. I, I think um, it's going to be... i tell you why I'm struggling. Is that I think that um, there's a new normal coming that we really haven't identified just yet that we're living through right now. And the, hey, let's just go, go grab coffee and me driving an hour and a half to do that is not going to happen again. And so that'll change like really picking through like who your personal uh, meetings are with and why. And... Um, those things will happen. And then just a really focus of, to me, productivity or production will probably swing more towards... The pendulum will swing more towards productivity, like really thinking it through how that's going to work. But I, I do think we're in a new normal that it's going to be really hard. I mean, at some of our clients that work that we have, have are not setting a date. Like you, know, you hear Google talk about uh, June 2021 or some of these other ones. Most of our clients have said, you know, the most of the ones that are not in-person ones, we don't know. We don't... Right now, we're not going to go back anytime soon. I've heard people talk about um, fall. I hear people talk about of, of next year, not this year. And I've heard people talk about five years. And, um, you know, I'm sure it'll come back. We overreact. What is it? The Bill Gates. We overreact in the short run. run we underreact in the long run. And so I think uh, that'll be something different. It's a really great question. It's a really hard one to answer right now for me. You know, putting your civic hat on a little bit, I, I know you're on the board of the Prosperity Partnership. And so you're, you know, thinking about the well-being of, of business in Delaware and the future of the state. I, I would propose that there's some companies that have built-in advantages in terms of this remote work piece. Just because of, you know, people who are professionals have access, the type of work, uh, you probably heard of Slack before we went remote. You may have even yeah. been using it. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, we were we're big fans <laughs> of it. We've always used it. Yeah, I know. At my work, like I, I invited people to Slack, and we've used it experimentally, but it has not taken hold. We haven't really been yeah. using it, and so <laughs> I, I just imagine there's a whole set of companies out there 
where first of all, the work is not suitable for remote. And we know that is true. Uh, and then there's just the cultural difficulties to making it work, to trusting the employees, to having that productivity piece be trusted uh, yeah. that you're going to get the same amount of work when they're remote. You know, how, how do you think we might go about uh, thinking about how we help those companies deal with this disruption now and whenever that new normal comes to pass? You know, some of the, the just the conversations have to happen a little bit more frequently. I think um, we just, I was going through this exercise with um, uh, uh, some of the community leaders in the Newcastle County CARES Act going on right now. And I really liked the way that some of the leaders of that framed it. We have life vests and then we have uh, rocket ships. And meaning we need to invest to save the companies that are really struggling, but we don't want to put money into something that was going to fail before or you know, that type of thing. But um, we need to see if we can continue them to get them through this. At the, at the second thing is that we have to invest in innovation, um, meaning there's some new things that we could look at to use our investment as a society to light a match under a really good idea or even create that environment where a really good idea can happen. And there's also a blend. There's a gray area too, where you're doing a little bit like, Hey, we see you're a great company. And I don't say we, there's no one that's in control of this, but society sees this as a great company. We should help them make that turn for the, for the new direction. And I think it goes through having a lot of these town hall type conversations. I think these podcasts that are, you know, podcasts traditionally in the past have not been focused on a specific geography. And I think this is a good example of where it is and it should be. This podcast, I think um, the funding distributions is going to force those conversations to look at like, what are we really strong at? Those type of things. But I think this is, this is the way to do it. Troy, I, I, I'd love other ideas. And I, you know, I, I agree with you. Like in our business is not, we're outside, we're a little bit off the norm too. There's businesses that, like you said, uh, have been around for hundreds of years and, have not had to change. And so they need that time to be able to shift rapidly. And I think our benefit of being in a small state allows us to be able to support that faster than if you're in California and you're just being hit from all directions for big, big, massive issues. You're not going to be able to, to take a small um, subset of an industry and, and really change that with good focus. I like that. Light vests and rocket ships. That's a good yeah. way to think about it. Yeah. And that was the leadership of the committee is really talking that through. But um, I think it's a good example. You know, one of the definitions out there of innovation is it is creative destruction. Okay. And that <laughs> requires some collision uh, and there's a disruption. And when we met, it wasn't that violent. It wasn't like a, <laughs> a collision necessarily. But, you know, we started with you mentioning kind of these opportunistic conversations, picking up the phone and meeting with somebody how do we have more of those conversations in Delaware? You said we're predisposed, but how do we uh, push forward to have more of those chance meetings that might create some of those collisions we need to innovate moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question, Troy. I think, um, I, I think our corporate leaders and our um, state leadership, they have to open up that sandbox to allow these people to come in and play. So put that that base version. And, and, and I'm also curious if you know, some of the work that you've been doing, you, you started out, if I remember right, 
laying the foundation of um, high-speed internet access up and down the state. Still an issue, yeah. It still is, uh, but um, it, you know, but I, honestly, I've heard more conversations about that happening now sure. <laughs> than it did pr- prior to the pandemic or whatever. So, creating those that sandbox for people actually to have those type of discussions is like paramount. Matt Meyer is going to be doing something with the CARES Act. Our, our governor has, I'm sure, funding to support businesses, whatever is getting it or something like that. Um, using our strategic fund to foster innovation, but really try to pull out the ideas of people who have time right now to think about them, I think is the key piece to that. I've seen uh, a lot of good journalism start to p- happen. Um, Town Square, Delaware, you have... And, uh, I'm not plugging any of them, Del- you know, Delaware online. Like there's been a lot of conversations online um, and through the media thing, I think that's been focused internally, which is really, really good. Hey, this is the big pieces of it. Um, and then just highlighting some of the creative things that are happening to, to spur and celebrating them, the awards that we give and that kind of stuff to show that this is, here's some of the things that are going on. How can we jump on? The other thing is like, as this state, this is just my own personal opinion. Like if it, as it gets funding to do certain things, to look internally, do we have that talent internally that we could really leverage first? Those type of things. It's also, you know, I think what your original question is focused on, like how do we foster um, innovative thinking or people talking to each other? But I also think where we invest in our time legislatively, like what can we do to help support business? Let, uh, the perfect example is, before COVID, um, we would not have gotten the um, liquor license variations that we had un- done in no pl- nowhere two years, you know. And then this happened in like what two weeks. So looking at those opportunities and and hearing what th- those businesses are saying, and then discussing them in an open forum like the governor did up and down the state, I think those are the pieces that are like start to have that conversation going on more and more. Yeah, and the liquor example is an interesting one. I mean, there's a lot of longstanding reasons why things were the way they were. And it took that crisis moment of, <laughs> hey, you want to stay in business? You want to be viable moving forward? We might need to change some things. And yeah, there's, there's exactly. probably you know loads of examples of that that we don't have to dig too far to find in Delaware as we move forward with recovery, I think. Yeah, like Amazon coming in and building a business is going to shake this area up um, for, for, good, for good things. and. And now's the time to be able to invest in that. Well, I'm sure we're not the only state thinking about these things. There's going to be, you know, a lot of competition for that talent, for those kind of bright ideas, those new new opportunities. Uh, you've stuck around here. You know, you've you've come here uh, and come back. Uh, what is it about uh, Delaware that kind of makes you hopeful about the next few years of recovery? I think our civic foundation is strong. It's not. Um, so we talked about foundation a little bit. Uh, let me go from a couple of different places. So, you know, I would go for runs in, um, in the Marin headlands when I was in California, it's a beautiful area and you would run into so many people. Those trails exist right here in the state of Delaware and they're just as beautiful and you have them all to yourself, you know, kind of thing. It's, it's not, um, I also, the, another thing that kicked us back here from, uh, California is that we went to buy our first house and it was, I think a million and a half cash, which we just didn't have <laughs> nowhere near uh, as, a, as a starting point. And then you bid up and it was for a postage size tear down in a flood zone. You know, it gets worse and worse and worse. Where 
you know, here in Delaware, it's affordable. Um, and, um, it's, you know, if you want the family life, you have the family life. If you, it, again, it's the microcosm of the United States. If you want the urban life, you have the urban life. If you want the beach life, you have the beach life. If you want to be up on top of hills, we got that too. So there's a foundation there that's super important. Um, and I think even more so during the pandemic, you start to hear about people moving out of the big cities. I don't think that's a long-term thing. But we're, you, know, you can still get to those things. So those, those work um, well. The business climate to me is really, really important um, for me to do business. I remember... I'll give you another just quick anecdote is that um, when we were trying to record our business license in the state of California, my wife had to... We couldn't even call to get into the office. She had to physically drive down to drop it off. And then it wasn't until six months later that we got the approval here. I mean, it's all online. It's like, but it's here. It's just easy to do. You're going to, I mean, we actually know the person who records it, you know, um, those, those kind of advantages happen here as well. And this, I'm not trying to like sell Delaware. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. And we have some of the biggest corporations in the world in our backyard. We have JP Morgan Chase, we have Barclay Card, Capital One, DuPont, um, Corteva, you know, they're all here. So we have all those makings. And so that gives me the positive things. And then we're, we have this workforce development that I know and I hear that we're starting to invest in even more. Not starting, but there's, there's investment that we have to make. And I, I hear that that's ramping up. So just like Louisiana, when Katrina came through, they looked at their education system. They're like, it's not so hot. They changed that around and now they have... like They have one of the best education systems in the country down there. I think we have... Um, those makings here as well, strong educational places with the University of Delaware's, uh, Delaware, some of the great schools that we have, some of the charter system schools. There's a lot of good base here um, that now we can take advantage of. And it's, I think, through podcasts such as yours that um, we'll get the word out. <laughs> well, I hope we play a small role. That's a great way to, great way to end on a high note, Patrick. Yeah, uh, yeah. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, joining today. I really enjoyed yeah. this and hope we can continue the conversation, you and others. Yeah. And, and if I close in the words, I'm not anything special. Like I think that the things that happened, you know, again, you can't look back and say that, that failure is an option. And so um, this is a good thing. That's great. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. For more information on Patrick's work, visit compassred.com. To learn more about IPA, visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks again for tuning in to First State Insights. Reach out with any comments and be sure to subscribe to make sure you'll never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon.